gentleman and also serves this community, this locale here. And it's a joy to call him my personal friend. He and Tangy have been here a number of times and uh, just a, a fine man, done a great job. On the city council, I have full confidence in him and just appreciate his friendship and uh, appreciate the great job he's done on the council. So make sure you say hi to he and Tangy before they leave today and be praying for him. Uh, they have an election coming up this week. I appreciate the clings. John chapter 19. I have a very close pastor friend. And in all of our correspondence, whether it's a letter or a text message or an email, he always ends with the same words, three words. He says, let's finish strong. Let's finish strong. We're about the same age. Let's finish strong. Those are good words. They're good words for anybody, but they're especially good words for people that are our age. Uh, Both of us uh, are aware of plenty of people that have not finished the race strong in recent days. Uh, I've talked to you about the will of God and how that Paul used the analogy of a race. He talked about my course. I want to finish my course, and it meant his track, his specific place on the track. And I talked to you about your course. And some people have not finished strong. People stop following. They stop following Jesus when the price gets too high. What is the difference between those that finish strong and those that do not? Because there is a difference. And we find one of those principles here in John chapter 19. I want you to look at it with me. We've been looking at the seven statements of Jesus when he hung on the cross. This is the fourth statement. I'm sorry, this is the fifth statement that Jesus made as he hung on the cross before he died. In John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it in his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sponge, and this is the sixth statement, when Jesus said, it is finished. Can you turn those lights on for me? Up there, right up here, I can't see my notes. I I noticed something up there, if you could, those lights. I don't want to be in the spotlight, but my notes do need to be. And the sixth statement there, verse 30, when he had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. And we see here the Lord Jesus finishing strong. He finished his message in spite of great adversity, in spite of great pain. This is one of his concerns all through his life that he finish his mission. If you'll allow me to say it this way, that he would finish strong. Thank you very much, Daniel. That he would finish strong. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat... 
And by this, he met his, his spiritual meat. The, the disciples came back with lunch. And Jesus said, no, I'm not hungry physically. He said, this is my meat, my nourishment, my soul's nourishment. is to do the will of him that sent me. He said, what nourishes me even more than physical food is the will of God. But notice there, he says, it's to do the will of him that sent me and to finish and to finish his work. It's not enough to do the will of your father. You need to find your course, but you want to finish your course. And then a chapter later in John chapter 5, when Jesus was talking about different um, avenues that pointed, pointed to him as the Messiah, one of those was John the Baptist. And he talked about John the Baptist in John chapter 5 and verse 35. He said, he, that is John the Baptist, was a burning and a shining light. And ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness, and here's another witness that pointed that he was, in fact, the Son of God, than that of John the Baptist. Now watch this. He talks about the works that he did. For the works which the Father hath given me, and notice this, to finish, to finish. In John 4, he said, God has given me a plan, an assignment to finish. In John 5, he says, God has given me a plan to finish. God didn't just give you something to do. He gave you something to finish. You know, we, we are very casual in our thinking about God, in our addressing to God, in the way we live toward God. For example, one of the words that we use when we pray and sometimes we talk about God is the word Lord. Now, <clears throat> perhaps we don't understand that because we did not grow up in, in a culture or a political system where we have lords. But in that day, in particular when the, the Bible was translated, a lord had absolute authority. And yet we pray and we say things like, Lord, and, and the Lord told me, but we don't live like he is our Lord. Remember in the book of Acts when, when Peter had the vision to partake of meats that were forbidden to Jews. But God told him to. God said, I want you to partake of this. Do you remember what Peter said? He said no. And what was the next word? He said no, Lord. Now, you can never say no to the Lord when he tells you to do something. But listen to me, all of us do that. We address him as Lord, but we say, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Well, you cannot call him Lord and say, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that because our words and our lives do not align with our profession of faith. In our words, God has not only called you to do something, but he's called you to finish that. And he has called you to live a certain way in submission to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus told his disciples and he tells us in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? 
Those are simple words, but they're profound words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Because here's what he's saying. I expect you to do what I tell you to do. And yet you're calling me by a name that is saying that you are following me, but you're not following me. You remember the first miracle that Jesus performed was at Cana of Galilee. And I remember when I had the privilege to go to Israel and we went to Cana and we went to, uh, some say, the site where Jesus performed this miracle. And it was a wedding there where Jesus turned the water into wine. And his mother came there and she said, hey, they're, they're running out of wine and, and what can you do? And, and I won't rehash the whole story. But uh, Jesus told his mother what to do. And in John chapter 2, verse 5, his mother said this to the disciples, Whatsoever he, speaking of Jesus, his mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatever he says, you do it. And he worked a miracle. I wonder that, are there some things in your life that God would do, but he can't do it because you won't do what he says for you to do? There's that one thing that God is telling you to do, that one place he's telling you to go, or a place he's telling you not to go, or something he's telling you not to do. But the command is this, is whatever he tells you to do, do it. And out of that mindset, out of that behavior, out of that surrender comes great blessing. And we read that just as a historical story and say, what a great story. It applies to you. See, you're, you're going around looking for miracles and God's looking for obedience. Just obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. I was reading this week about Abraham and Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 by faith. Abraham, when he was called, God asked him to do something. It was very difficult. He was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. Now notice the word after, later. So he didn't have it in hand, but not only did he not have it in hand, he obeyed, he, he obeyed the Lord, but he obeyed in spite of some things. And Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. Now this was radical obedience. This was radical obedience. What gets a person to this place, and this is really the hinge statement for the message, what gets a person to this radical place of obedience? What separates the men from the boys? What, what determines whether you finish strong or not? Because everybody doesn't finish strong. All Christians don't have the same weight. They don't have the same maturity. They're not going to have the same reward one day. Thomas Adams, a Puritan, said this. He said, true obedience hath no lead at its heels. I like that because those Puritans had a way of saying things. I remember when I played football, one of the things the coaches would say, they'd say, get the lead out. 
Get the lead out. In other words, you need to hustle. True obedience doesn't have lead in its heels. It's not tardy. It's not slow to obey. What are you tardy at? What has God asked you to do? But you've got lead in your heels about. You're, you're hesitating. There's no such thing as partial obedience. What is the difference between a person that willingly yields their life fully to Christ and someone that doesn't? Well, there's a Bible principle, and it's mentioned all through the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. And here's what it is. That motivation to surrender is not something that you work up. And I think sometimes, and I say this a lot, but sometimes the reason we get this is it's been preached like this. That, that you, you need to work this up. You, you need to will this. You need to work it up. Now listen carefully the way I say this. Surrender is motivated by your response to something. And it is your response to something that God has done for you. You will never, you will never, you will never finish strong until you're motivated to surrender. And you will never surrender until you respond to the love of God and to what He has done for you. And that's why I read this text about John nineteen twenty eight, when Christ died for you. And I'm going to show you some other scriptures here in a moment. Because it's all over here. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. It's very simple and very plain. You don't love God because you're good. You don't love God because you, you worked it up. The depth of your love for God is in response to your awareness of His love for you. You love Him because He first loved you. And you cannot work this up. The key to willing obedience is your response to what God has already accomplished. So... You, you must ponder the cross. You must look at the cross. And it's at the cross where you learn not only to be a follower of Christ and what it means, but listen, listen, some of you are not listening. I'm not chasing anyone. I don't see anyone. But right now, here's what I know. Some of you don't have ears to hear. You're thinking about a grocery list. You're thinking about a problem. But you're not going to finish strong because you're not getting this message because the enemy doesn't want you to. But you're not going to finish strong. Even in adversity, Jesus was in adversity here on the cross. He was in great pain. He was suffering. But he finished. And you're not going to finish strong until you ponder what he has done for you. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible said, Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. About a month ago, I preached a message about the propitiation of Christ on the cross. When Jesus was in the shadows at midnight, 
as it were, on at noon. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was being the propitiation, the substitute, the satisfaction to satisfy the lost of man. And we give out scripture memory cards. And when I was driving one of my children's car and they had that memory verse on their dashboard about Jesus being our propitiation, our propitiator. Until you consider him as your propitiation, not only, listen, not only will you not be saved, you're not going to finish the course. Because he, he's not only your propitiator for you to be saved, he's your propitiator before you hear in his love, not that you love God, but that he loved you. And you keep that vision of him dying for you and saving you and, and the butchery that was performed on him. For you, a sinner, a lost soul, bound for hell, undeserving. And, and, and the response to that, the response to that is, I must do the will of God every day. And, and, and every, I'm not thinking about next week or next month or next year. I'm thinking about today. And then one day I wake up and I'm 64, and then I'm 74, and then I'm 84, and I realize it's my time to go. But I'm still in the will of God and I finish strong, not because I purpose to finish strong, but I finish strong because I was close to Jesus every day. I like that song. We don't sing it much, but maybe we ought to. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. But every day is not sweeter with Jesus just because you you will it to be. I will be close to Jesus. I will be a good Christian. I will know that that's of your flesh. Your, your flesh is filthy. It's wicked. It's estranged from God. Titus chapter 3 verses 3 through 6. For we ourselves also were past tense. This is your past. We were sometimes. This is your biography before you were Christian. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers or diverse, all types of lust and pleasures, living in malice, a desire to see people hurt, envy, jealousy, hateful, hating one another, bitterness, all types of relational destruction. But after that, after all that mess, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. And he came and, and he died for you in his kindness and his mercy. And it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, he cleaned my heart, he washed my heart, he regened me. And he renewed me through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Ghost, which he shed. The word shed means to pour out in an abundant way through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this is your story and my story. May we never get away from our story. The depth of my love for Christ is commensurate with the depth of my awareness of my indebtedness. You cannot say thank you enough to someone that has helped you. You cannot. 
And you can never say thank you enough to God Almighty for redeeming you. But the reason we forget is we have forgotten our indebtedness. A lady came to Jesus and she knew that she was a sinner and she was weeping. And then there was a Pharisee named Simon. And he was very indifferent to the Lord. He was just interested in talking about religious things. And in Luke chapter 7 and verse 47, Jesus said, Wherefore I say unto thee, to the religious man, her sins, this lady that was weeping and broken, which are many. By the way, he had many sins too, but he couldn't see them. Because they were sins of the Spirit, which are just as bad. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now watch this. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now that doesn't mean, I remember reading that and saying, well, I guess you have to sin a lot. What I didn't realize is he had sinned just as much, but he didn't see it. And he could have been forgiven a lot and loved a lot too. Until you see the depth of your depravity and the depth of your sin, you will never love your Savior the way you ought to. And here's what's with that, is you're not going to finish strong. You may go to heaven. You trust Christ, you will go to heaven. But, but you're not going to finish strong. Because you don't think about it. You just look at it as a transactional Thing. Well, I got saved. What's next? Listen, you have a relationship with God Almighty. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Constrain, con, C-O-N, which means to, to surround. Strain means pressure. It means to compel, to push along. It is the love of Christ that that constrains me, that motivates me, that pushes me. It's not the letter of the law. It's not because I have to. It's what gets me to the place where I get to. Well, I have a 10-year plan. I have a 20-year plan. Here's what I'm going to do in the ministry. You're not going to do any of that if you don't love Christ. You're going to do any of it. Why don't you just get a one-day plan where you think about God every day. You love Him and you walk with Him. And then maybe you can finish up 20 or 30 years. Planning is not wrong. But we, we have borrowed some things into our, our, our vernacular and our mindset sometimes where we think, I can will this thing out. And boy, you see the red flags. Dutiful living. Obligatory attitudes, complaining, and there's no sweetness, there's no honey in the relationship. There's no crying out to God, listen, this has not been a good season in my life. I'm not going to bore you with it. These last three years I was talking to Paula, these have not been good metrics in my life. But because I have a good God, I can, I, can, I can view these things through the lens of His goodness. And I can finish my race. And I can endure the tough times, not because I'm tough. 
I think it was Robert Schuller that coined the phrase that tough times don't last, but tough people do. What if you're not a tough person? Well, you get tough. Well, there's coming a time when you're going to face some tidal waves and tsunamis where you're not tough. But can I put it this way? You have a tough Savior. (laughs) He'll get you through it. But you just love Him. You just rest on Him. Jerry Bridges, the author, said, We obey God's law not to be loved, but because we are loved in Christ. I'm not obeying the Word of God. I'm not in church today in order to gain God's favor. I'm here because He loves me. There's a lot of things in in recent weeks that that I've done, not not because I, I have to, but I've done these things because because He loves me and and He's He's helped me in these moments and it helps me to surrender for that day. I'm not thinking about ten years from now if I'm gonna finish strong. But this is my this is my course, this is my race and and I've got to take the next step. I remember when I played football at Butler and and boy, in those those July practices, they were hot, and we were trying to get back in shape, and we would run and run and run. And the first the first couple of weeks, they were trying to just run people off, and fatigue began to weigh on us. And you get that ache in your side from running and running and running. Those of you in the military remember those old days, and just running. I played a trick on my mind. I would take one step and another step, and I'd go, just one more step, just one more step. And over there at that track and back behind Butler, that was how I ran around the track. I didn't think I got a quarter mile to run. I, I, I got one step, just one more. I just took a step at a time. And before I knew it, I ran a quarter mile, then a half a mile, then three quarters, and then a mile, then a mile and a half, and whatever. And before I knew it, I had my gear, and then, we, and then I was on the team. Quit worrying about it. I got to, I, I, I've got to, I got to finish. Have a long course. No, just just take care of today. Just love him today. Let him love you. Just interact with him today. Just today. And I'll be honest with you, can I be honest with you? Sometimes it's not even today, it's just this moment. Just this moment. Just one more moment. Because the moments make minutes and the minutes make hours and the hours make the day. Jesus' heart was to please his father. And it was his love for his father, his love for his father that caused him to please his father. John chapter 6 and verse 38 He said, for I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The will of him that sent me. Are are you doing your father's business? What does he ask you to do? In John chapter 8 and verse 29, and he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. I do those things that please Him. Wow, there's so much in these verses. Lord, I just want to please You. 
Don't worry, but don't don't worry about the whole wide man. Just, Lord, I want to please you right now. I just want to please you right now. And then take the next step. I want to please you right now. And before you know it, one day death's due is upon your brow. You look back like Paul did. Is I've kept the faith. I finished the course. I fought a good fight, Lord. I did it. The reason I did it is you did it through me because what I did is I just, I delighted in you and I just, I just walked with you and and Lord, we did this. You helped me. I don't get any credit for this. At the cross, we learned the heart of Jesus, not only to be his follower, but how to follow him difficult times. I'm going to skip the next verse there, Andrew. Okay. The next passage, there's three qualities of Jesus and, and I've just been focusing on one, and that is the obedience of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus. You see it in verse 28, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, if he accomplished something, which means to complete a task, it's like checking your to-do list off. And he fulfilled, he fulfilled a prophecy in Psalm 69 when he said, I thirst. If he accomplished and he fulfilled something, that means that he must have been aware of it. And that's true when it says that Jesus knowing. So he accomplished and he fulfilled something because he knew that this was a father's will. And he was about to die, but he said, no, there's one more thing I have to do because this was written of David. But it was written in a messianic prompt prophecy that I say these words and he was so submissive to the will of God in that moment and this was the next thing Lord this is what I'm supposed to do for me to finish your plan and he was obedient he was submissive to God's plan the will of God does not begin with knowledge but with surrender we think well if I knew what to do I would surrender to it no you wouldn't because you would think it's too hard it would frighten you The will of God does not begin with knowledge. It begins with surrender. That's why some of you don't know the will of God. You've never surrendered to it. Has there ever been a time in your life when you surrendered to do God's will? There's some great verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We think we know them, but many of us have not experienced them. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Have you ever done that? The word present means to yield. It means to surrender. It specifically means what's, what's near at hand. I stand here. This is near at hand. I'm so close to Jesus. I'm so close to him. I'm going to present myself to him. I yield myself. I beseech there. You therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. And this is what he wants. He wants my body as a living sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice is something that's dead, but I'm not dead. I'm living. I'm as a sacrifice to worship him, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. But I want you to notice that the basis of appeal is not duty. Now, pay attention to this. Don't miss this. You ought to do this. You're supposed to do this. You owe it to God. 
The word beseech is a beg. It's a pleading term. Here's what he's saying. I, I beg you. I plead with you. It's as if he is on his knees before them saying, please do this. I beg you to do this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to present your bodies. But he says, by the mer- don't miss this, by the mercies of God, plural. This is chapter 12 and verse 1. He's talking about Romans 1 through 11. Mercies, plural. The mercies of salvation, the mercies of justification, of propitiation, of imputation, of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, of peace in chapter 5, of sanctification of chapter 6, 7, and 8. Of all of these mercies that He's poured out on you, He said, God has been so good to you. He has cleansed you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. You're never going to hell. He has changed you. You are a brand new person. I'm begging you. He's based on that. On, on God's goodness to you. Not on His fear. But based on His goodness to you, that you would present your bodies, that you would yield yourself to Him. There was some talk years ago that if you didn't give everything you had to Jesus at your moment of conversion, you weren't a Christian. And uh, it was called Lordship Salvation. That you had to present everything to Jesus as Lord at the moment of your Time you got saved. If you didn't, you weren't a Christian. Well, I believe in repentance, but there's some problems with that view. Because Romans 12, 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. I beseech you therefore, Christians, that you present your bodies. In other words, you you folks, there, there are some of you Christians... That have not presented your bodies. That's what he's saying. I got saved on February the 18th, 1968. I was a little boy, nine years old, just a few months before I turned 10. I did not fully yield my body to the Lord until July the 29th, 1975. When I was 17 years old. At a camp, at a youth camp. And in some ways, that was more meaningful and more significant to me than my conversion. Because I was confronted with the mercies of God. I remember that night on a Tuesday night at Banner Elk, North Carolina. I had a black uh, Schofield Bible and and I went forward that night and I I took that Bible. And I I was one of the first ones down to the altar. And I remember I, I knelt right down here and I put that Bible before me and I wept tears on that Bible and I don't know how I was down there it doesn't matter how long a person is down there as long as they're sincere but God did a work in my heart I think it was 20 or 25 or 30 minutes I'm not sure that the time is not the factor it was just God I give you everything that I have from the sole of my feet to the crown of my head I give you my future I give you my life I didn't give him Say I'm going to be a preacher. That wasn't even on the horizon. I just said, God, I, I give you everything that I have. Have you ever done that? The word present is a decisive presentation. It's once and for all. 
And that doesn't mean, you know, the, the problem with the living sacrifice is it can get off the altar. It doesn't mean that there weren't times that not only was I tempted to, but I drifted from the altar. But my body, my life was His. And be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's so much here I don't have time to cover. By the way, your mind is part of your body. You give your body, you give me your mind. That means I need to meditate. I need to read and give myself to the things of God in His Word. That, in order that you may prove, that you may discover, that you may know, discern. That's what the word prove means. What is that? Good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You're not going to know the will of God until you, until you yield your body to the Lord. And you're not going to yield your body to the Lord until you're motivated to do by the mercies of God. This is all wrapped up in finishing strong, in starting strong, in staying strong. It's in connecting with your love for God, but it's not your love for God. Your love for God is responding to Him. You can't work up your love for God. It's a, it's a response. We love Him because He first loved Him. It is your love for God, but it's a response. Because your love grows cold like mine does sometimes. There's a scripture in Hebrews 10 about the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's quoted from David's experience in Psalm 40. Verses 6 through 8. This is powerful. Stay with me on this. Psalm 40, verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. In other words, you don't want an animal sacrifice. Mine ears hast thou opened. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burn offering and sin offering hast thou not required. You, you don't want animal sacrifices. Here's what's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come. Jesus came. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. And you'll never delight in his will until the word of God is in your heart. They, they go together. What does it mean in verse 6 when it says, mine ears... Has thou open? Does it mean you're listening? That's not what it means. In Exodus, we are giving, given the civil law and statutes for the nation of Israel. And tucked away, it explains what it means. Mine ears hast thou open. It's a statute for slaves. The Hebrews, when they were, they had committed a crime or they were, they owed money. They could indenture themselves or their families to the person that they owed money to or they had committed a crime against. In Exodus chapter 21, notice in verse 1. I think these are on the screen. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. These are the statutes. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh year... He shall go free for nothing. So there was a six-year maximum time. In the seventh year, his time was over. He had paid for whatever debt he had. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master hath given him a wife, that is, the man met a wife there, 
in the home. And she had borne him sons or daughter, the wife and, and her children shall be her, ma- her masters. In other words, that still I still have the, the children and the wife. And he shall go out by himself. And the servant shall plainly say, now I want you to watch the language here. I love, don't miss this. I love my master, my wife, and my children. Here's what he's saying. I, don't, I, I still want to be a slave. I, you, you have been good to me. You've taken care of me. I want to stay in your home. I love you. I love my master. I will not go out free. I'm indebted to you. Then his master shall bring him under the judges. So it was a legal ceremony. He shall also bring him to the door. This was the door of the house to where he had been living or under the doorposts. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, kind of like a, a screwdriver of sorts. And he shall serve him forever. That's what it means when Jesus said, Mine ears hast thou opened. He said, I love my Father, and I want to do what he tells me to do. Now, the door represented the house that I, I love the place. And the ear represented, I have, a, I have an ear to hear what my master says. I, my ear is open, not just here. It's figurative. But it's open to what my master is saying. And, and, it, and I'm loyal to my master and to his house. Have you ever willingly surrendered your heart, your plans, your life to the Lord? Have you ever? But I want you to notice what motivated this behavior was love. I love. Love was the motivation. John chapter 7 and verse 17. If any man will do his will, will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Are you willing to do His will? You're not going to know the doctrine first, and then you know His will. You've got to be willing to do His will. Are you willing to do His will? Then you're going to know the teaching. Then you're going to know the direction. It wasn't until July the 29th of 1975 when I surrendered my life to the Lord in a full way that I got, that I got back, I got on that track, I got in my course. And then all of a sudden doors begin to open and things begin to happen. But what motivated me, what motivated me to get back in the course was the love of God. What has motivated me to stay in that course was the love of God. And if, if I'm blessed to finish my course strong, it will be the love of God. Now he loves me. But I have to have an ear for him. And I trust that my ear, in a sense, as it was the Lord Jesus, has been opened. That it has been bored through the door of his kingdom. And it's opened to the Holy Spirit's voice. Because I love him.
He's been good to me. He gave me a Christian home. He's given me a, a wonderful wife. He's given me special children. I love my kids. I love my kids. Give me wonderful, this wonderful church, other wonderful churches to serve in. I love the Lord. When he hung on that cross, he, he said, he said, I, I thirst because there's some things that need to be accomplished. There's some things that need to be fulfilled. And he knew what the will of God was. He was so attuned. Listen, friends, you will never know the will of God until you lose your own will. When you take up your cross for Jesus, it will always be characterized by obedience and submission to His will. I was praying over this and thinking about it in recent weeks. and Lordship is always related to obedience. Always. And at the judgment... The Bible says in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Do you have a heart to do the will of God? Now, I'm going to be bold with my assertion here. I base it on Matthew seven twenty one. Uh, you're probably not converted. You probably don't know Jesus. If you do not have a heart to be loyal to your Savior, if you're all about your way and you have no affection for your Savior, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God, but he that doeth the will of God. This is not about perfection. It's about direction. Are you remotely interested and the fathers, are you listening? Are you open to his directives? If not, something is wrong. First John chapter 2 and verse 17, the Bible says, And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. Not just in this life, but the next life. You just keep doing one more step. Just one more step. And then one day you step out of this life and the next life. Just one more step. And what helps you to do that is, is the love of God. We love Him because He first loved us. It's interesting that Jesus is in agony. He's on the cross. In the fourth statement, He says, My God, my God, why, why, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And in a few moments after that, when the sun comes out from behind the clouds, he cries out to his father. And listen, he cries out to his father and says, I thirst. I thirst. He, he still trusts his father. Earlier, he was questioning because of the suffering. He knew, you see, he knew the answer to the question why. He didn't ask why because he didn't know why. He knew why. But the suffering was so great. It was so unbearable to be separated from his father and, and to become sin. 
He said, why? But the next statement was a statement of trust when he said, my thirst. And that's the way your Christian life is. Sometimes you'll say, God, I can't do this. And then there's sweet fellowship. And I think it was Spurgeon in one of his sermons said of the essence, when I cannot, when I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. When I cannot trace his hand, I can always trace his heart. What is God asking you to do that you're struggling with? That you're afraid of? That you say, I I don't know if I can do that. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. Always. Always. I want to encourage you today to, to give it to him. And go to the cross every day and find your motivation to give your life every day to Jesus. Even as a Christian, go back to the cross and say, God... I give it all back to you. Maybe you're here today, you've never been to the cross. You've never asked God to forgive you of your sins. And God, I come as a as a sinner and I need a great Savior. He will forgive you and He will cleanse you. Maybe you need to go back to the cross and say, God, I've been to the cross and I brought my soul. And you cleansed it, but I'm coming back today and I'm bringing my body. And just like Rick did in July of 1975, I'm coming and I'm giving you my body. I'm giving you my mind. I'm giving you everything that I have. And I'm, I'm just putting it up here. Because, Lord, I love you. And I want, I want to finish strong. When Jesus was hanging there, he was suffering. But he was finishing strong. He was finishing the will of God strong for his life. He was obedient. Would you to bow your heads with me today? Every head bowed and every eye closed.